You're listening to the Watling and Owens Show on WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. It is the greatest show, but not the Watling and Owens Show, as I'm joined by special guest Brandon Ladd of Sports Hour fame, of Ospigonian fame, of T.O.P. fame. Brandon Ladd, my good friend, our first broadcast ever together. Through our three years of both being at Oswego together, it's it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me today. Love filling in for Luke. Um, and it's crazy because our three years of doing this, we must have passed each other in here at least a hundred times because we've always had our shows. I even when I had the unknown strike zone, I think I was before you guys. So it's absolutely wild. That we've never done a broadcast together. It isn't. We haven't even done hockey together. Maybe we did one hockey game with with the. I think I did a couple games for Sal on the road. I did like Brockport. I was in studio. You might not have been here. You might have been sick or something. Yeah. I don't remember if you remember the Brockport game from from last year. Yeah. Or the I, Geneseo one. I guess one time it might have happened, but this is our first time talk radio doing this. That's right. I'm excited, and I think this will be a really good show. We've got a lot to talk about. It's it's a whole lot of little bits. Um, I've been hyping up the Sam Darnold situation on social media, and, and it's really not much of an ordeal. It's just him talking about getting traded, and I think there's some really interesting pieces on that end, and a lot of Jets fans that are, you know, wishy-washy, where you got to be either, I get you can't be all in or all out, because, you know, as a person, you might like Sam, as a player, you might hate him, but from the start, I've loved Sam. I, I wish they didn't trade him. I understand why, but we'll get to that a little bit later on the show, maybe maybe towards the, the bottom of the hour. Uh, the Mets. Law Mets are back, lad, and I think it's it's a good reason for it. We'll talk about the Yankees and, and their matchup last uh, their last series rather against the Rays. Uh, odd Man Rush, you'll be making your Odd Man Rush debut at 7.35. And then the Brooklyn Nets, they lose a game to the Lakers, blown out by 25 points. We'll touch on that towards the end of the show. You know, d- does that matter? Are there things to take away from that game? A lot of pieces missing from both sides, specifically, you know, Anthony Davis and LeBron. But it didn't feel like that was a, a preview of... The NBA championship, even though it might actually be. But let's start with the Mets. <laughs> and it wasn't their play on the field. It was the fact that they were playing. And on Sunday, there was a two-hour and ten-minute delay. Uh, they eventually canceled it. But the real issue was that Marcus Stroman went nine pitches in the first. And now has to wait another five days to pitch. Tonight's game already canceled. But when you got three good pitchers and you're burning one of them for nine pitches in a game that doesn't count... That's really tough. Like, that's a really bad break for this team. It is an extremely bad break for this team. And Stroman, just on Twitter a few minutes ago, announced he will pitch um, Tuesday in the doubleheader. So he's going to be back quicker than five days. But still, this was an embarrassing one for the Mets because I was surprised. Many people think MLB decides to start these games. It's actually the Mets, as the home team, have the decision to take the field or not. And they really just butchered this one. Stroman and them had not good communication. And if you're the Mets, it's very Metsy during an era that's not supposed to be very Metsy. So you want to get these blunders out of the way. But it was just embarrassing. There was no reason to take the field. I don't even have the issue with taking the field because I guess you want to get the fans in there, all that stuff. My issue is why are you playing Marcus Stroman? Like, even if the weather's fine, like, Go with a with an opener. That's what the that's what the um the Marlins were gonna do. Don Mattingly said, you know, if we had to get to the bottom of the first thing, which they didn't even get to that point, they were gonna use John Curtis, their reliever, to open the game. And 
they just didn't want to have to go through a starter pitching and 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 let alone the fact that the, the conditions were horrible. I mean, you mentioned what Marcus Stroman was tweeting about. He said this game's never should never been started. The conditions put everyone at risk. All these things, and and that's concerning because you've I've never seen an issue like this where everyone's been like, why do we play this game? Yeah, and I was surprised because I thought this was MLB's call. I thought it would be some coordinating producer's call. It's actually Rojas's in the Mets front office, like the Mets manager, and then the Mets front office. They decide when these games start, and. I was just shocked. And you have a great point about the opener. Um, It would have been very smart for them to sneak a bullpen game in there. Because why risk it? Imagine if Stroman got hurt during this first inning. You'd never forgive yourself. You you really wouldn't. And and this is a team that needs their starters. And and I guess the Law Mets kind of gets canceled when you're bringing bringing him in on Tuesday. And I'm happy about that because, look, as many of you know that listen, and as Luke knows, and I, I hope he's listening wherever he is, I don't know baseball very much. I don't know why you can't play left or right field. I don't know why Gleyber Torres is a horrible shortstop. Just learn the position. But I I could see Stroman just like pitching the next day. Like I didn't see an issue with that. Because I mean, I guess there's a warm up. I get it. You have sort of off day scheduled throwing on off days, but you couldn't just push back another 24 hours. Like I'm being genuinely serious. You couldn't just use this as like one of your off day pitching situations. Well, let's speak in real terms here. The human body could pitch 24 hours later. It's this era analytics and all the science and all the body metrics that decide if someone can pitch or not. And to me, it's a bunch of garbage. But again, one elbow injury, you're never talking about this the same way. So that's why it is. And I was surprised because I saw this and I went up to Aaron and I'm like, oh, can he just pitch the next day? And I guess he can pitch 48 hours later, but not 24. So I don't know the difference. Well, maybe they wanted to give him a day just because he was warming up in that starting pitching mood. You know, maybe he got, you know, maybe he has to dial in and do something extra special on, on you know, start on Daisy starting where he like gets in the zone for too long. Maybe he could be burned out. I'm just glad he's pitching the next game or at least one of the games on the doubleheader because if you lose him to this situation, you're basically costing your team a win. I mean, this is a guy that you want to get as many starts in as you can. He's right now your second best pitcher without Carlos Carrasco, without Noah Syndergaard. And it really feels like the Mets are trying to just stay afloat when they don't have Carrasco and Syndergaard. Once they can get them back, I mean, this is a top four, not, you know, these, these four guys, if you include DeGrom and, and Stroman, that could be a really formidable starting pitching rotation, but to, to lose out on a start for Stroman would have been Incredibly detrimental. It would have been. And just to add weight to this here, if you look at the game before that sent the Mets to 2-3 and three on the season, you wasted another Jacob DeGrom start. Now they're 0-2 and Jacob DeGrom starts. He goes into this game, he strikes out 14, gives up one run over eight innings, and you find a way to lose it. You get shut out. So it just adds more weight to it because you're right. If you lose a Stroman rotation, you're sending a Peterson out there who struggled early on this year. You're sending somebody else out there and you have a higher chance of losing. So they just got to keep it alive during this early stretch. Quickly, I do want your opinion on this. Um, when Carrasco and Syndergaard come back, I've got them as the best rotation in baseball. They could be. I mean, I look at some of the other rotations. I think the Yankees have an upside. They obviously haven't hit it yet. But if, I just don't know if Syndergaard comes back to 100%. I just yeah. I didn't like what I saw with him you know, last time out. Stroman, to me... I don't see as a question mark because I think he's fine, but he's not the typical number two starter. Going into this year, you didn't pencil him in as a great number two. He was a solid one. Yes. And then Carrasco, 
who knows when we're getting him back? You know, hopefully it's soon because I want to see him pitch. But just the injuries scare me. But I do think that when you get those guys back, the the issue turns from the entire team to really just the bullpen. Because I do think that this this lineup will get better. I think Rojas is still kind of figuring things out. You know, Lindor is still figuring things out. Conforto is still figuring things out. I don't see an issue with this team once they get those guys back. But it might be too late, lad. It might yes. be too late to the point where if this team is as bad as they are with the Grom and continue to struggle, if Peterson still struggles, if these guys still struggle, they might be 10 games below 500 by the time they get Syndergaard back. And at that point, it might be too late. It could be too late. And that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of Mets fans because you've heard about it. Every person that's a Mets fan that got their hopes up this offseason after Lindor and after these pitching signings and after Trevor May signed with this team to help the bullpen, they were saying 90, 95 wins. This is a wild card team. We're going to be right up there with the Padres. We might be knocking on the door of the Braves for the division. But if not all the things go the way in their favor and they have any injuries and if they have any disappointments in the bullpen or the starting rotation, this is an 85-win team. And I feel like that would just be debilitating for a lot of Mets fans. And also, this isn't a team that's that Young. I mean, DeGrom's up there in age. He's getting better. He doesn't have a lot of innings on him, but he's getting up there in age. Marcus Stroman's, what, 28? Yes. Syndergaard around there, too. Yes. Carrasco's, I think, older than both of those guys. This team's not a bunch of spring chickens. They're they're not. And and I know you want to talk about the the lineup, and they've got some great young pieces. But you're going to keep getting up there in age, and it feels almost like, I don't want to say it's like before the Yankees, because the Yankees, they had a nasty team a couple years ago. They did. This team is not on that level, and they might never get on that level because when you look at who they need to pay, Conforto's good. He's a very good player, but I don't think he's on the, the level of Judge. I don't think Pete Alonso's on the level of the other core guys from the Yankees, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But if you're going to pay those guys and you're not going to spend $400 million like the Dodgers are, I don't know where you're finding the money or the, the room to improve this team. And I mean, do they ever catch up to the Dodgers and the Yankees? Who knows? That's a discussion for a different day. I think it would take some regression from the Dodgers, and it would have to be the Padres not stepping into what they could be when Tatis comes back next year alongside Machado after the season-ending injury he had this year. But if you're the Mets, I find this crazy. The Yankees' starting rotation is younger than theirs. Like, if you look at it, when Severino comes back, if Herman pitches well again, those are guys mid-20s. Uh, Teon's only 28 years old and only has about 500 innings pitched on his arm. So it's weird the way that they talk about the Mets as this young, growing team when the Yankees are actually younger than them. Yeah, the Yankees aren't that old. And, and it's unfair to say because I think time is ticking on the Yankees faster yes. than it is on the Mets because, you, you know, this this starting rotation, the way it's built, if Tyon has a good year, he's gone. Yes. They're not re-signing him. <laughs> no. If Kluber has a good year, he's gone. Yep. You know, you're not signing the, these good guys back, and that's what concerns me the most for the Yankees. And... This is a team, and we'll switch over to them now briefly, that it's World Series or bust, but when do you start talking about their lack of performance? When do you say, you know, you're only nine games in. There's a lot of baseball left. When do you say we're in trouble? I mean, this is weird because I think your memory will serve the same way as mine. If you look back at the past three, four seasons— They were red hot to start the season. They were red hot and were on big winning streaks going into May. No doubt that could still happen. They're nine games in. But you're at a point here. You 
won the series against the Orioles. They're not going to be much competition this year, though. But the two playoff teams that could come out of your division, the Rays and the Blue Jays, you lost those series, and you lost them in pretty embarrassing ways, especially the offense against the Rays before the last game of the series on Sunday. So if you're the Yankees... I would say code yellow right now. I'm not going code red in April. But what do you think? Because I'm right now, I'm code yellow because there's some guys like Hicks. There's some guys like Stanton. There's some guys like Clint Frazier that just aren't hitting the way I expected them to. It is early, though, and it's been very cold. Like Let's be honest. It, and the cold weather certainly affects both both the pitchers and the yeah. batters. And for, for a benefit, you talk about the teams in the AL East. The best team is six and three, and that's the Red Sox. They're two games up. Every other team is four and five. The Red Sox aren't gonna win this division. They're not a six sixty seven winning percentage team. You know, could they be five hundred? Sure. Yeah. I don't think they're gonna be as bad as people thought they were, but they're not gonna make the playoffs. They might squeeze in if cataclysmic issues happen to the Blue Jays and the Rays. But for the Yankees, I think you gotta look twenty games in. I think this isn't good. But also, like, let's talk about this team. The bats are never start out hot. When do you ever see guys hit super well? And for me, I want to take some of the positives out of this team in the sense that show me things that have looked really good. And then the, the starting rotation has been awesome. I mean, Tyon's look great. Garrett Cole's been a stud as he has his entire career. Kluber's been okay. He hasn't given you length. That's my one concern, really, is that it feels like the starters aren't going to give you length. And the bullpen just isn't quite there like you want it to be. No, it isn't quite there. And you look at that series against Tampa Bay, uh, you don't have Garrett Cole pitch in it, so there's a lot more weight on your guys, uh, Herman, Kluber, Montgomery, and they only go 11 innings during the series. The bullpen has to go 16. So when that happens, it exposes that this bullpen is not as good as it has been in past years. But you're right. If the starting rotation can get going and grow off of what Tyon and Garrett Cole have done so far, that's going to skyrocket them because the bats, historically speaking, they don't stay cold for very long. They don't. And I think for, for Gary Sanchez, Sagan, that's the guy everyone talks about. He's batting 296. And I know it's a short sample size, only eight games played. He's got the off night tonight, which is kind of interesting because the two games Higashioka's pitched in are both in which you know Garrett Cole has played or rather than ones he's caught he's caught yes. Garrett Cole almost every time which to me is pretty interesting but this is a guy in, in Sanchez that gets so much of the heat and it feels like it's being picked up off of him and now on to Aaron Judge who is finally back in the lineup you know he's finally he missed a couple games he, he was off Wednesday had an off day Thursday then missed Friday he played Saturday Sunday and this is something that I've talked about with Luke and a lot of people, and we actually brought it up, I don't know if you remember, uh, at, at your house the other week. And yes. I don't think you need to trade Aaron Judge, but he's not worth $30 million. He's not worth $30 million in the sense that he's an old man at this point for how he's going to go through arbitration. He's still got a year to go, to my belief, before he gets that contract. He's going to be pushing 30-31. He's a short-term Four years, $120 million, that type of $30 million. He's not a $300 million man that people make him out to be, though. So I get that respect, but I wouldn't go as far as saying to trade him. What's your thought on that, by getting more value before his contract comes up? I just think you could trade him for good value. And if he's a guy that's... If he plays 150 games this season, which doesn't seem likely, or even 140 for this season and next, then I think he's fine. Then I think you go out there and you, and you keep him. But... If this is a guy that's going to play 120, 130 games, 
he's not worth 25, 30 million a year. Like you can allocate that money in a better spot. You can go out there and sign a guy that's a little more durable. You know, I gave George Springer as the example a couple, um, a couple well, last week, I think, and sure he's been injured, but that's a guy you expect to play decent length in, in your season. And he's not worth the same that judges, but if you trade judge, bring in a top tier starter and then go out there and sign somebody else. That to me brings more value than what just Aaron Judge would do. It might bring more value, but in the sense that what Judge's ceiling is in just the memories of his second season in the league, which was considered his rookie year still when he came up the year before in July, um, it's just nobody's ever going to let go of that. Nobody in the Yankees front office is going to let go of that because the ceiling is going to outweigh what the actual value is, and it's going to be the perception. So I don't see him ever getting traded, even though I agree, maybe you could get better value. Maybe that could be a move that makes you better than the Dodgers, but they're never going to part with Aaron Judge just knowing what his ceiling is. I, I know it's it's moot to talk about it. I honestly think that Glaber gets dealt because he can't play shortstop for whatever reason. You know, DJ is going to be your second baseman for, what, six years now? Yes. Glaber's going to be an old man at that point. He'll be right in his primer or, or past it. What, he might be 28 or 30 at that point. And he's a guy that you want to try to bring that value up on, but I just don't see – I don't see him paying every player because the way Gary Sanchez has played right now, he could be a, a $20 million catcher. But the, you can't pay everybody, and that's why I thought getting rid of Judge for, for different assets might make the most sense. It could make the most sense. I think it makes more sense to get rid of Torres, though, because you look at his 38 home run season – 14 of those came against the Orioles. Ever since then, the numbers haven't been close. 60-game season last year, he just never got right. So far this year, I'm not seeing it. We'll have to see. But I think that 38-home run season was just a mirage. I don't think we're going to see that again. So I'd rather trade Torres than Judge. You're listening to the Watling & Owens Podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Lad, would you, would you be able to cover in for a pinch tomorrow? I know I'm kind of throwing it on you, but... Yeah, 7 o'clock I could, yes. 7 o'clock, you make it perfect. Yes. I know you, you and uh, Aaron are off tomorrow, right? Yes. I've got a lacrosse game at 4, goes off the air at 6, so I'm in perfect oh shape for 7. Who are they playing tomorrow? Uh, who are they playing tomorrow? That's a great question. Is it, is it men's I, or women's? It's men's. I'm pretty sure they play... Um, I'm thinking Brockport. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Yes. I think you're right. So Brockport and... Oswego State Men's Lacrosse. You can tune in on Stream 2. Beautiful new website, I might add. So shout out to our GM, Jen. Shout out to our web director, Pat, for being the web director, I guess. I know he didn't he didn't do too much of it. <laughs> Jen, Jen took the initiative and did an amazing job uh, with the website. But before we get into the Sam Darnold situation and, and the comments he had earlier today, his first kind of public appearance since being dealt by the New York Jets, Ben Greco, friend of the show, did not really like my choice of words when I said that you were my favorite editor-in-chief at the Oswegonian. Yeah, I saw that. I, I thought you were being tongue-in-cheek. Obviously, Ben did not take it that way. And now I think we're having a fight to the death over... We didn't decide. It's either going to be sports or AP style. What if it's just like a fist fight? I, I think we know who would win that. Was it, are you saying you're going to win? I don't know. I feel like Ben watches so much hockey, it might just he might. flow through his body. That's true. And he, he did say that <laughs> Nazareth tomorrow. So I guess you got, got a little more preparation to do tomorrow. <laughs> yes. So Ben listening. Um, not too happy with the comment, but I stand by it. Uh, Lad hasn't done anything wrong as editor-in-chief yet. Greco has made a couple mistakes. And, and I say that because Lad hasn't taken the position yet. It's not his turn. So 
in two months, it will be my turn That's to right. make mistakes. In, in two weeks, even when you do takeover, takeover week, you know, uh, yeah. the last issue of the of the of the scheduling cycle or the the publication cycle, I should say. And what a year it's been for the Oswegonian. <laughs> we fought through. It was it was rough, but I'm I'm proud of us. I think we did a really good job bringing the content that we needed to the Oswego area. We did, and you saw Deb Stanley's email today, SUNY Oswego president. Full classes That's in right. the fall. Hope is so. Maybe we'll be back to. We're definitely back to week to week. Maybe full office again, which is interesting because I really wish you guys got that full office experience with us this year. This was such a good cla- uh, staff too. I mean, every single editor that I've you know, and we've sort of not opened up, but we've had copy editors come in at night and start to copy edit and just experiencing the office with, you know, instead of sitting at home doing yes. it with a computer, being able to be in the office while you're there or while. Uh, Mary Catherine's there, our Lake Review editor. Everyone's just so awesome. Like yes. it's such a good staff. It's really a shame that we didn't get a, a normal year because of how fun the environment and the dynamic would be. It is unfortunate. We did make the most of it though, and I must say, in recent weeks, it's felt much more like home because we are getting the copy editors in there. We're getting ice cream together. There's just more, and it feels more like a staff. But we've really made the most of this year. We have, and and for Sam Darnold, someone who I guess has to make the most of his his move from the Jets to Carolina, of course. Uh, he said it stings a little bit on being moved. One of the uh, quotes that I thought was really interesting was, he said, I imagined I was going to be the Jets quarterback, or the franchise quarterback of the New York Jets for a very long time. And once you realize that, that the team draft you is moving on, it stings a little bit. And that's a really great, great way to describe it. Because I remember you know, back in high school when he was going to get drafted, and, and when the thought was, he's going to the Jets, you, you dreamt of Sam Darnold. You know, you would fall asleep at night thinking of, of that number 12, of that Sam Darnold, the, the throws he made at USC, the, the Rose Bowl performance against Penn State. Like, that's what you thought of. And for him to fall so flat and the, the team really to, to fall so flat for him was just so upsetting. I was going to mention that, that Rose Bowl performance against Penn State, that's still one of the greatest performances I've seen of this modern era of QBs. And when he came out, the measurables were there. The intangibles were there. This is a smart man. This is an upbeat man. This is a guy that does not struggle with the issues that we've seen with Dwayne Haskins and others. And this seemed like a guy that was just going to take off and take New York City by storm. And it just never went his way. And if you look at the numbers, they're not horrible. He didn't have much help. But at the end of the day, if you're the quarterback, the buck stops with you. So, And especially when you're a number three overall pick, so this era of losing for the Jets had to come to an end. That's why they let him go. But I get it because it's not Sam Darnold's fault. I, since day one, have never blamed Sam Darnold for any of the Jets losing in recent years. It's just a situation where you're just a byproduct of a sucky situation and you're going to get let go. So I wish him the best in Carolina. And I think in Carolina, they're going to be really good because he finally has... A really good head coach in Matt Rule. You've got yes. uh, Joe Brady out of LSU from a couple years ago. He's finally your offensive coordinator. And, and the weapons they have. You know, Robbie Anderson in New York was okay. Robbie Anderson in Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater <laughs> throwing him the ball was legitimately a top 15 wide receiver. And, and that's a crazy thought to me. The fact that he could be as good as he was with Teddy Bridgewater and now to, to have Sam Darnold's incredible. And let's not forget, they have Christian McCaffrey. Like, this is the guy that is really going to help Sam. And, and you saw Lev Bell be brought into the Jets for, to help out Sam Darnold, and it just never happened. 
that's also another big what if in my eyes is what if Bell actually was given the ball? Like, what if he actually yes. gotten a couple carries? Like, this could have been a completely different team. It could have been. And imagine what if they had an offensive line to block for him? What if they had um, an ability to have better play calls that didn't include one yard out swing routes to him every single play that he touched the ball? And what if they got some momentum and actually called the game around Darnold and called the game around Le'Veon Bell? So when you bring that up and you talk about C-Mac, Christian McCaffrey, it's going to go in a better direction for Sam Darnold. The first step, winning that job against Teddy Bridgewater. You have any doubts about that? It, it seems like he's already got it in the sense yes. that they're going to let Teddy look for a trade. They're going to let him kind of move on. And he was just not very good last year. Like, I love Teddy Bridgewater. I thought when he was with the Jets a couple years ago, like, he could start. He wouldn't make the playoffs or anything, but I think he'd be a really good asset to the team. But I just I think the, the comments they have in, in Sam... Matt Rule's excited to have Sam Darnold in that locker room. <laughs> the things he said about Sam Darnold, the man, is is what you want everyone to say about you. And, and that's what I think is so important. And he's being put in a really good situation. And I think that's something that's important to note is he's not being put in Washington where Ryan Fitzpatrick might be the starter. He's not going to Chicago where they've had offensive struggles forever. This is a team that a couple years ago had a really good Cam Newton and they made the Super Bowl. They did. And I mean, you're going into an era of innovation. You think about Joe Brady and what he accomplished with Burroughs that one year at LSU when he was the passing game coordinator. You think about uh, what Matt Rule turned around a Baylor program that was on probation when he got there and was making bowl games by the time he left. Was a talk about being a national championship contender if they didn't blow a game against Oklahoma the season before he left. So he's going into an era of innovation in Carolina. They're going to take chances. They're going to re-innovate the offense around him, and they're going to make him successful. That's what Adam Gase never did for him. Adam Gase was stuck in his ways. And you saw it turn around a bit this year when the Jets took away the play-calling duties from Adam Gase and got a little bit more innovative with it. The Jets and their offense experienced a little success. It wasn't much. I'm not going to say it was anything groundbreaking, but still... Every time you see those hints of Darnold being good, you want more. And it felt like they just never got more of that. It, it felt like you'd see one crazy play. You know, the, the I think it was a touchdown against San Francisco where he scrambled around. It looked, <laughs> it looked a lot like the, um, like the Zach Wilson throw during the pro day. That's what I want to see. Like, I want to see a guy that knows how to throw the ball and that's let, like, he's able to. And I will say one thing that was very telling about Gase, and I don't know if it was him being a control freak or him being honest about it, but he didn't let Sam Darnold change plays at the line most times because he didn't think he was ready. And I don't know if that's on Sam's IQ or if that's on Sam's ability to read the playbook or if that's Adam Gase being an egomaniac, which it very well could be. But that's also something that to kind of consider, you know, if Sam can't adjust plays at the scrimmage, like that, that's scary to me. That is very scary. And I want to say, though, it's Adam Gase being an egomaniac, and that's the safest bet. He's gone. You don't need to talk about him anymore in New York. You don't need to talk about him in respect to Sam Darnold, but it is worrisome. What if his IQ isn't up to task? What if he isn't the studier that we thought he was of the playbook? That is worrisome. That could hold them back in Carolina, and that's going to be a detriment to his career. That will end it. Um, this is his last ride. If this doesn't work in Carolina, I don't see him getting another starting job. These quarterback classes just get more and more impressive each and every year with the NFL draft. They're more mobile. It's a new era. 
But Sam Darnold is in a position to take full advantage of this and really resurrect his career. If he does good this year, does good next year, next 10 years, I think Sam Darnold is an NFL starting quarterback. And that's what scares me as a, as a Jets fan. And I get the idea that you know these, these quarterbacks are so great, this and that, this and that. The last 5, 10 years or so, I think maybe it's like the last five years, no top three pick that's a quarterback is still with that team. You know, Trubisky, Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold now, you know, I guess not Josh Rosen. I guess, well, Baker Mayfield is, you know, yes. uh, he's one of them. But there's so few. Why are, we spe- why are the Jets wasting another second overall pick on a guy that could very well end up the same? And I understand the value, but for Sam Darnold to, to go into a what would have been his fourth coach in his third year, like this would have been the shot for him. And I think he could have been a very good quarterback in this new system, this West Coast offense that stems from Kyle Shanahan. That I really would have liked to see because I think he would have put up numbers for this lineup or for this offense. It would have been a different look, but he would have been such a major distraction and there would have been so much pressure on a roster that's just trying to build. Joe Douglas is just trying to get this roster to above average where a franchise quarterback could really do great things with it. So that's why they got rid of Darnold. You just don't want the distraction anymore. Do I think Sam Darnold is going to be a better quarterback than Zach Wilson next year? Yes, five years down the line, who knows? We need to see how Zach Wilson develops. I found a joke the other day on Twitter that said 99% of Jets fans, Rich Eisen actually said this on his radio show, 99% of Jets fans have never watched a BYU game before, and they're acting like this is the second coming. It's true, and and look, I have no idea what Zach Wilson brings to the table. I think I watched a quarter of, you know, I haven't seen him rather firsthand, Yes, and I'm not a football scout. I could tell you, oh yeah, he, he runs well, he throws well. Yes. But everyone knows anyone that's talking about that is reading it from the Todd McShays and, and people like that. And he could he be the next great quarterback? Absolutely. He could also be the next Sam Darnold. And it's crazy to think that Sam Darnold, who's 22 years of age, is being this heavily scrutinized. He's a young kid. He is. He is a young kid, and he has full opportunity to turn it around. But Zach Wilson now is going to face the same scrutiny. There's a lot of pressure on him. The Jets really did not give him a backup plan. It's going to be a ton of weight on him as the number two overall pick coming into this season. And we would not be having this argument, I feel, if it was Trevor Lawrence and Sam Darnold. There was so much hype around Trevor Lawrence. You only have one choice. The media is going to push you into it. The norms of the game are going to push you into it. You need to go with Trevor Lawrence. Here, Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold, I'd flip a coin, even lean in Sam Darnold's direction. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. And welcome back to the Watling and Owens show. A bit of a change up today. I'm joining Matt Watling, Brandon Ladd. It's the Watling and Ladd show. And it's now time for my debut of Odd Man Rush. I'm in the hot seat here. And Matt, let's get right into this here. Kansas City Chiefs assistant coach Britt Reed, the son of Andy Reed, charged with felony DWI. So felony driving while intoxicated involving, this is the sad part, a critical injury to a five-year-old. He has not been convicted yet, but would face a max of seven years in prison. As we know, this happened right before the Super Bowl, and the attorney for the family of the girl said she suffered a devastating brain injury, leaving her unable to speak or walk. Family expected to advocate for the most serious charges that Britt could face in his sentencing, and this is the most horrific detail. He was over the legal limit of alcohol, 
113, the legal limit, .08, and he was driving 84 miles per hour on an entrance ramp. It, it, it's so sad, and I, I, I have to agree with the family. I mean, this is incredibly dangerous. The story was that he was coming home from the facilities, and the fact that you could let him drive home like this is really, it's unfortunate, and it's obviously his choice, but it just doesn't make sense. It's it's so sad. It's so needless, and it's it's awful. Just hearing what happened, you know, there was um, a couple cars parked along the, along the shoulder. Maybe, I think they got into maybe a fender bender or something like that, and then just driving 84 miles per hour. I mean... I don't even drive that when I'm when I drive in an old time. Just imagine that. Yeah. No, it's absolutely tragic what happened. And it was his decision to drink that alcohol, then get on the road and go through with this. We'll move on to a lighter topic here, but something that Atlanta Braves fans are not a fan of. Top of the ninth inning, we have a tied six six game. Alec Baum tags up on the shallow fly ball, which was sent out to Ozuna. Doesn't seem to have the strongest arm. And he throws it into Darno, and he's called safe. Lance Barrett was the home plate umpire, but a replay of it showed that maybe he wasn't safe because it showed that Darno gets the tag down, and his foot still might not have touched that bag from the other night. Brave starter Drew Smiley said after the game, it's real time, it's bang bang, we have five different angles on a nationally televised game, and it's clear his foot didn't touch the plate, that it was on the chalk. For MLB not to overturn that, it's embarrassing. Why even have replay if you won't overturn that? Uh, The decision came from MLB New York, who makes the decisions, they said they could not definitively determine that the runner failed to touch home plate prior to the fielder applying the tag. Players did speak about this. Mike Trout reached out about it. So bad. Laughing emoji. Justin Turner said absolutely brutal. And a bunch of more people talked about this. Braves manager Brian Snicker did come out because he said he did not get a good explanation from the umpires after the call. It's really, it's It's unfortunate. Because you see the the idea of replay, and, and a lot of people don't like replay with the the time it takes to to get the right decision. I don't mind it in the sense that you know baseball's already slow enough. I don't mind another couple of minutes if you're going to get the the call right. But it comes down to getting the call right. It does. And this is such a bad look where it, it was fairly obvious to say. And I understand they called it safe first. So you want that extra definitive proof of missing the base. But if everyone's talking about it. It's not 50-50. It's not like, no. oh, well, you know, he, he almost got it. You could argue yeah. it. No, he missed the base completely, and, and that's a tough break. It is a tough break. And moving on to some golf news here, the first major championship of the year. We're back on the regular major schedule this year with four planned. Hideki Machiyama becomes the first Japanese man to win a major at the Masters. Machiyama, who's 29, becomes the first major champion from Japan. This has been a long history of Japanese golfers in the Masters. He's the first to break through. Win was never in doubt. Late surge from Xander Shoffley was nixed with a triple triple bogey on the par 3 16th hole. Bogeyed three of the last four holes. First winner to win the Masters. Shoot over par since 2008 in the last round. It's impressive to get the, the Shoffley name right. Oh, you were impressed with it? Yes. I've watched a lot of golf over big, the years. Big golf guy, as is our own Ben Grico of Osvigonia. <laughs> we need to play golf together. You guys should. We were supposed to do it our freshman year. Um, 
the Aspigoni would do like a little golf app yes. with uh, Cole Parzik, former NYO sports director, a bunch of other guys. It got rained out. And I bought this beautiful <laughs> blue polo from JCPenney. You still have it? I still got it. Oh, it's great. It's lovely. <laughs> Very glad it rained. It got rained out, though, because I would have embarrassed myself. It would have been worse than the freshman year softball game debacle. <laughs> I've heard about that. Yes. One for three. <laughs> lost the game. I told Cole I'm not good. I didn't want to play. But he said we need a body. And I was like, you sure? And, and there we have it. <laughs> I did manage the team to championship in year two. And maybe we'll do something, you know, COVID-friendly this year. I'm, I was thinking... Yes. I was thinking kickball, someone brought wiffle ball. Wiffle well, ball is a good idea. We'll have to see what it turns out to be. Maybe you can redeem yourself oh, as you did I in your managing can. year. That's right. Boston Bruins win the Taylor Hall sweepstakes. Hall and Curtis Lazare to the Bruins. Anders Bork and a second to the Sabres. Hall said, I'd love to be a Bruin for a few years. It's obviously been a bad year for me personally, and I need to play well. I need to contribute. Most of all, I want to be a part of a team that wins games. I really believe we can do that here. Um, Matt, how do you feel about this? It's obviously been a rough year for for Hall and the Sabres. This is a guy just a few years ago was at the top of the game. I mean, he's an MVP trophy winner, and I think it's so interesting to, to see the two different sides, and a lot of fans are so low. On, on Taylor Hall. And I just I just don't understand it. I think he's certainly not... He has not been good this year. Maybe he wasn't that good last year. But he was playing with the Devils, the Arizona Coyotes, and the Buffalo Sabres. Three of the worst teams in the last decade. They're not very good, and I don't know what people expected out of him, more or less. So, is the, is the package that Buffalo got back worth it? Absolutely not. They got a, a very bad package. But it's not on Kevin Adams, their GM. Um, there was a really interesting tweet, and Kevin Adams was basically asked, you know, was it was he restricted to just the Bruins? And he said, pretty much. Hmm. So if there's no one else because he's got a full no-trade clause, you're not getting much value from anybody else, or you're not really able to go to anybody else. You just have to send him to, Bo- to Boston. You know, you're not getting, you're getting whatever they want. You feel like this is a turnaround for the Bruins because you look at the standings today in the Metro – Rangers are only four points behind the Bruins for that playoff spot. The Bruins have not had the footing that they had just a year ago, that they had two years ago when they played the Blues in the Stanley Cup Finals. It, I just don't think this move makes them get their footing for the season. For the, for the Sabres? Yeah, for, the, for Bruins. the Bruins. Josh, sorry. It's tough because their defense is really bad. I mean, I don't know if there was a... There was a, uh, a roster or you know a, a pair a set of pairings that they had another game with Charlie McAvoy out and I couldn't recognize a single player on it. and I'm <laughs> someone that watches hockey yes for basically for a living at this point and look they're a scary team I think if Tuka Rask can can stand on his head and bail out that defense they can win a championship but they haven't been that team they also do have six games left against Buffalo and they've got two games in hand yes. on the Rangers so things could come out come together for them I really hope Taylor Hall has a great season. I hope he's a point per game for the rest of it. Just to get these these idiot fans to stop talking about how bad he is. Like, shut no. up. He's he's good. He's, he might be getting older, but he's also shooting at a historically low shooting percentage. Like, he's a good player. And people have got to understand that when I write that the Islanders should get him, and people say, he's not good anymore. He's not a fit for the team. He's got bad news for the culture. Stop talking about the culture. Yeah, Good cultures don't get ruined by one very good player. They don't. I'm sorry. No. You can bring in any player to the Islanders and they'll figure it out because that's hockey culture in general. 
guys that play hockey are going to conform to the culture of their team more often than not. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker radio network. And the Nets got blown out by the Lakers by 25 points, 126-101 to 101 on Saturday. A lot of pieces weren't there. There was no Anthony Davis, no LeBron James, no Harden. Both Kyrie and Dennis Schroeder were ejected in the third quarter. Uh, no Kyle Kuzma ever, or either, for what it's worth, for the yes. Lakers, whether it's for better or worse. <laughs> uh, that's yet to be determined. But this is a tough loss for the Nets. And, and Led, as someone that's a, a basketball junkie, d- does this worry you for the Nets? This is a team that wants to win a championship. And the, the Lakers are the team they're probably going to com- compete against. But does a loss like this kind of put the uh, the blinkers on? Thinking back to the last 10 years and just watching games like this, this had a very Spurs-Warriors situation where they'd be the best two teams in the Western Conference and then nine of the best 15 players on both of those teams would not play. And then the Spurs would win by 31 points. And it's like, oh, how worrisome is this for the Warriors? It's not that worrisome. It's just one of those games. It happens in primetime. It happens every so often. The Lakers' secondary pieces went off. Horton Tucker went off. Uh, Ben McLemore went off in this game for them and had their best games of the season. It just happens. If you're the Nets, Kyrie gets tossed. It is what it is. Is that why he missed? Was going to miss this game against the Timberwolves tonight? Who knows? KD plays pretty well in his second game back. So I'm not taking negatives from this. I just think it's one of those nights. You have an off night, and it is what it is. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think I was talking to to Patrick O'Chang of Shooting the Breeze fame and of uh, the Pat and Mike experience fame, and he 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 didn't want to hear it. I said, look, you're only... Or maybe it was Mike. It was one of the two. I, yes. I forgot who. Maybe it was both of them. And I said, look, KD played 24 minutes. In a playoff game, he's playing close to 30 or 40. Yes. So you're going to probably get another 10 points from him you know, Kyrie's Kyrie. I guess he gets thrown out. You can't really complain about that. James Harden's probably going to be back for the playoffs. He is. And sure, AD and LeBron will, will be back. But I just, I don't think the Nets play very hard. I don't think they try very hard. They don't. In games they don't want to play hard and don't want to try, they lose embarrassingly. And, and you saw that. I think you saw that on Saturday. And I think that is significant. You also look at the way that the, the Lakers played. They came out firing. They were up... 11 points early in the first, 18-7. And I think at that point, Kyrie probably said, why should I try? We're, we're going to lose this game. Yeah. Why not save it for the next game? And you know what? When you're this good and you're going to have to beat the Sixers anyway and you're going to have to beat the Milwaukee Bucks anyway and Giannis, what's the difference? And, and maybe you'd like to avoid the Milwaukee Bucks you know, in that second round, but if this is a team that thinks they can beat anybody and typically in basketball the better team wins – who cares about one game in April? It doesn't matter. And you're right. Seven-game series, the best team is going to win. And we've seen that in the past, that when playoff teams have these lopsided games, they go through um, skids throughout their season. It doesn't exactly correlate to their playoff success. Look at the Milwaukee. They'd win 65 games in a regular season, then find a way to to lose in five games to random teams in the Eastern Conference playoffs in the second round of the playoffs. So I'm not getting too worried about this. The only worrisome thing is the 20 points to Drummond because their interior defense is always a problem, and I thought this is something they fixed. Maybe not. Yeah, and and I was going to bring that up next as well as we are about to wrap the show. Can you fix this defense, or is it an effort Mm -hmm. thing? Did they just not try enough? 
it seems to be an effort thing because when they try, I think of games against the Celtics this year, I think of the games against the Knicks when they got intense at the end. When it matters to Kyrie and it matters to KD, this team seems to be a totally different defense, which is sad because they all sh- always should be giving good effort, but it does seem like an effort problem. And, and that's the current kind of aspect of the NBA where guys aren't going to give 100%, especially on the, the super teams where you know, you're going to win your division, your, your conference most likely. And, and to save up and, you know, rest up, maybe that's not the worst thing. It'll be really interesting come, come the playoffs if this team can be fully healthy, if KD can give you 30, 35 minutes, if Harden's going to play, you know, if Kyrie can play. If they're all healthy, I, I just don't see this team losing. I don't either, especially in the Eastern Conference. We're going to have to see in the NBA Finals, but definitely my favorite right now. It's going to be curious how it develops. Yeah, we'll take, well, actually, not a quick break. We're going to take a 23-hour break. Lad, thank you so much for joining us. It's a game time decision. I think Luke will be back by then. We're not too sure. We'll figure things out. I'll be sure to let you know. Only two shows for the Wilding and Owen show this week. Monday and Tuesday. We're off Wednesday for a request. Uh, you know, get those the research in, whatever you want to do on, on Quest. <laughs> uh, I've got actually a great presentation with uh, with Coach Gosick and um and Coach Digby. They're actually they did you know those presentations that the athletics department was trying to um promote? Yes. They I was the only one to sign up for theirs. Really? So I'm getting a personal lecture from the two of them i can't wait for it what i'm so treat. excited i can't wait to, to speak to them i haven't spoken to them in, in quite some time and an absolute pleasure to learn hockey from two of the greatest hockey minds that this school has ever seen 15 years ago as well as we wrap up they they won the uh their their only national championship i think on 15 years ago on sunday that is crazy how about that how has it been 15 years 